0: You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 14, In Utero, side A. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse.
1: And I'm Jiditja.
0: Today we're going to talk about Nirvana's third and final studio album, In Utero.
1: Yes, looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, I must say, I think I've been looking forward to doing this one uh, ever since the day we started this podcast.
1: Oh, so this is your lucky day. Yeah, in a
0: way it, uh, <laughs> it is. Uh, shall we dive straight into uh, talking about the album or do you have anything else to discuss?
1: No, let's just go
0: for it. Okay, cool. Maybe for people who've skipped our... Um, previous episodes uh, leading up to this one why Uh, did you do it why did you do it go back to episode (laughs) one uh, (laughs) follow the whole story of Nirvana and all the music that came before this one and then come back but maybe you don't have time to do that (laughs) (laughs) so let's give a really short recap to what yeah what happened before uh, Nirvana went into the studio in uh, I think January uh,
1: 1993
0: yeah to record uh, this album
1: um, yeah, so basically... Um, Kurt
0: Cobain was born <laughs> <Exactly>. in 1967 <laughs> in Hocium.
1: Yeah, let's not go back that far. But in uh, the months leading up to this uh, recording session, uh, basically Nirvana played a couple of big shows. And other than that, uh, mostly kept to their themselves. Kurt had a baby, so he was quite busy with that. and Had some um, other uh, issues as well uh, with his uh, mental health and his drug abuse. So uh, he was uh, basically attending to himself, let's say. Um, and uh, the band was doing some demoing in between. A couple of days here, a couple of days there. But hadn't really shaped the album yet. Just tried out a couple of new songs, played one or two on live performances. But yeah, it was time to uh, actually <laughs> get into the studio and and really record that new album.
0: Yeah, and they did. And of course, uh, the pressure was on. Yes. Because, um, well, their previous album was... Um, uh, the very famous and very successful uh, Nevermind. Yeah. So they had to follow that with something.
1: And there was obviously an album in between with uh, B-sides and rarities, but that was just to... Uh, well. Buy them some time. Exactly. Basically.
0: Yeah. Yep. Mainly because of the things that you just said, a lot of stuff going on encouraged personal life and tensions running high in the band. Um, they didn't have that much time to work on new material. No, I think that's the reason why they uh, also put on some older songs. But uh, we'll discuss that when we uh, get to those songs. And there was a lot of rumors going on flying around. There was a lot of speculation about the new album. Yeah, uh, some people said that uh, Nirvana was gonna commit like commercial suicide <laughs> and were yeah. set out to uh, strange. Every fan who ever liked them. And <laughs> exactly. uh, I don't think that's what they wanted to do. No. But they made it very clear um, that they wanted to make a different album than Nevermind, uh, less uh, polished, uh, more in the style of Bleach, their debut album. The one thing they didn't want to do is uh, make uh, Nevermind Part Two.
1: Which is uh, why they went with a different producer.
0: Yes, they hired Mr. Steve Albini, who uh, had a musical ca- career for himself. Uh, in uh, the band Big Black. I think yes. he's most uh, well-known uh, for that one. Yep. But he also had a kind of a reputation as a producer, doing things in his own way.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: He's quite a character, uh, I, yep. I
1: think. <laughs> Yeah, he is. And um, I think that, especially because the band was looking for a certain sound, uh, that was one of the reasons they came to him. They liked the sound of... Big Black, his own band, like you said, they wanted to get back more to to a more rock and roll, grungy feeling, uh, less polished, and also he produced by uh, using a entirely different uh, audio technique uh, by putting like the microphones in the room and recording the entire room yeah, instead of just clean instruments, and they were interested in that.
0: Yeah, yeah, he used a, a lot of microphones apparently, yep. and I think well. His biggest um, selling point, at least for uh, Kurt and I I, I guess the other band members as well, was his drum sound. Yep. Now, I have two examples of that uh, uh, from which I know that uh, Kurt really liked them. He said uh, that those were on some of his uh, favorite albums. Mm -hmm. First is the opening track from the album Surfer Rosa by the Pixies. And you can really hear, hear that distinctive drum sound. hear that is really natural
1: yeah and you can you can actually you hear the space around it you can when you hear this drum sound you can picture the drummer being in a space it's the whole atmosphere around it that goes into that as well which makes it interesting
0: yeah the second example is from um the Breeders, their album Pod from 1990. Yeah. Uh, and I just had to pick this one because it's a Beatles cover. <laughs> and you can hear the, the drum sound very good somewhere. She's well acquainted with the
2: touch of a velvet hand Like a lizard on a window pane. I love this cover. So good.
0: It's really good. It's one of my favorite uh, Beatles songs. I think uh, it's not the easiest one to <laughs> <No>? <laughs> uh, to cover, but uh, yeah, they absolutely nailed it.
1: And again, you can you can hear the the similar drum sound in this uh, as well. Those yeah, great examples.
0: Yeah, and that's what what Kurt wanted for his band as well. And I think part of the appeal was that um, Albini had a kind of a reputation for. Um, Well, keeping uh, record company people at a distance. He came with his own set of ethics, I think, as well. He famously refused to take um, um, uh, royalties for an album because he didn't write the music and he didn't play on it. So he said, just pay me a flat fee And uh, that'll be enough. And by doing so, I think he uh, (laughs) lost a lot of money. (laughs) He lost a lot of money, but he thought, well, that's just the right thing to do. So um, it's
1: his choice. So that's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he got a hundred thousand dollars for recording this album. So it's fair. That's it's not that he was underpaid. (laughs) No. If you look at how much work he had, because it was done in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But, well, uh, you know, he did things uh, on his own terms.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like you said, he really wanted to keep everybody out of the studio. So, no surprise visits of record label people wanting to listen in and uh, what's happening and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that appealed to the band as well.
0: Yeah, he famously uh, wrote a letter to Kurt um, when they were um, discussing the option of him being the producer of the next album, uh, saying that, oh, well, I think what you should do is... Um, Go to the studio um, in a sort of an isolated place. Don't mm-hmm. be um, concerned too much with um, external influences, especially yep. from the record company, and just bang out the album really fast and don't overthink it too much. Yeah, And I think uh, that's exactly what Kurt wanted to hear and yep. needed to hear. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, it's I
1: exactly what they did because they it were they in a studio for two weeks in uh, rural Minnesota um, in a place that wasn't easy to get to uh plus it's minnesota in january so uh lots of snow yeah <laughs> so they couldn't go anywhere either so uh, yeah yeah perfect
0: yeah um a good thing about that was that um kurt wouldn't get too much distraction from drug dealers um uh, yeah. coming to find him or him being tempted to call up them uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and things things like that so um uh, yeah, they, they went to this remote studio and banked out the album really yep. fast. Then they didn't make the album exactly as it came out, but we will talk about yep, that we'll in a minute. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think there's enough uh, talk. Let's uh, go to the music. Yes. To the first uh, track, Serve the Servants. So, how do you like this one to open the album with?
1: I think it's a really good choice. Um, it's it's not really a vintage Nirvana. <laughs> it's a more of a straight up rock song, but it's a nice introduction, I think, because it's it's melodic, but it's different from what they did before. Yeah. Um, so it sort of falls in between that. Well, the stuff we'll hear later on. So, I think that makes it a good opener. Also, I really like this song. I think it's an underappreciated song. Um, yeah, I think so too. It yeah. doesn't
0: show up on a lot of Best of Nirvana lists or compilations no, or whatever. No, no.
1: And that's a shame because it's it's such a well written, well composed song. Maybe because it's it doesn't stand out enough, I guess. But for an opener, like it's, yeah, sure. It's not like, smells like Teen Spirit where you go, like, What's yeah, happening. kicking in the door and this is <laughs> Exactly. More, but this is more like, okay, okay, this is interesting. This sounds good. Let's see where we're going. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I, I assume that one of the reasons also to open with this is the opening lyrics of this song. That must be one of the reasons, I'm yeah. sure.
0: Teenage angst has paid off well now I'm bored and old. Yep. That's a pretty bold statement. Yep. And reflecting on what... Happened to Kurt uh, and the band in the in the like the two years before this. Yep. Um yeah, that's true. And and I think there's a lot of uh, lines in the lyrics that he probably just wanted to get off his chest yep. before going into the album. Exactly. Yeah. Like like this um, famous uh, line directed to his father.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, yep. um, um, that basically telling him that he doesn't hate him anymore, but he, there's nothing he has to say to him yeah. as well, Yeah. Uh, about about his wife, Courtney Love, um, yeah. reference, um, if she floats, <laughs> then she is, uh, she is not a, a witch, as we thought. Yeah, um,
1: it's it's basically this song is like the liner notes of the album, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah.
0: nice way of looking at it. And, yeah. and uh, I think it's cool to throw that, just to bang it out on the first track and yep. then, you know... Get on yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's one of the most. I think those lines are the most personal and the most obvious um, things that he ever wrote. I mean, yeah. they're not very cryptic or or whatever. Nope. Just one on one, exactly. Speaking his mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, and apparently, um, I think that I read that in an interview with Dave somewhere that this was sort of the the most finished song that Kurt brought to the studio. He, he brought it in and was like, this is what we're doing. Um, yeah. So that, that also enforces the idea that he just had have this off his chest. And then, yeah.
0: Maybe it's a good idea to listen to uh, a very early version of the song. Mm-hmm. So we get an idea with how Kurt wrote it. And maybe that's also how he brought it to the other band <laughs> members. Yep. So um, here we go. And a solo acoustic uh, demo version. And we haven't even mentioned uh, well, he's not singing it here, but uh, we haven't even mentioned that uh, that legendary divorce is such a bore yep. uh, line, <laughs> which was really personal thing because after he became uh, a global superstar, everybody kept bringing up his parents' divorce yep. and how much that had damaged him, which was probably true, but I can imagine that he was got sick and tired of talking about <laughs> it to every. I think he the he
1: brought it up himself and then regretted it ever since. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably,
0: yeah. And uh, I must say I'm, I'm really happy that we got a lot of those uh, solo acoustic demo versions mm-hmm. because yeah. you can really picture Kurt writing the song and yeah. sometimes having different lyrics or he's not really clear about the melody line just exactly. No, true. Yeah. And apparently, he wrote a lot of these songs in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's
1: weird yeah
0: but I think at that time they were so um, rich that they had a, a house with a big closet I suppose. <laughs> like a walk-in closet perhaps
1: yeah yeah and I I think that that it probably mainly had to do with with him just needing some space to himself and, yeah. and feeling I mean I can I can imagine you sort of feel safe going into a small environment and yeah. just jamming yeah yeah
0: yeah, I can really picture him and then, and, and, uh, you, know, you know, writing stuff like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like you said, it came out great. Um, I also like the fact that it starts with the, with the, with the count in, uh, with the drumsticks. Yeah. yeah. It makes it a bit more rough in a way. It's yeah. like it sends the message this is a band playing.
3: Exactly, yeah. Um,
0: the previous album started with the very um, strong and very familiar opening riff of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. So... Yeah, this one starts with a with a, with the count in and then a sort of strange chord.
1: Yeah. No idea why.
0: <laughs> well, I th- I think
1: it for, it works. Yeah, I mean, it it works and yeah. I think
0: for the same reason. It's yeah. it's a bit weird. It's it's um it's it's key. It sounds a bit off key, mm-hmm. but I suppose it's not. It's a bit like um, their um, Hard uh, Day, uh, Day's Night opening chord. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for referencing uh, the Beatles again. It's just <laughs> what I do, apparently. <laughs>
1: no, but I I agree with what you're saying about that that opening. Um, again, this also ties into Steve Albini's way of recording. Being together in a room and making music as a band is obviously very different from... All being on different small sound stages and playing, and everything has pros and cons, and obviously this album has overdubs as well, but having that basis of like we have space and yeah. we're in that space together, this also ties into that, so that feeling is uh, is quite important
0: a couple of years ago in two thousand and thirteen, there was this um, uh, anniversary uh, edition of the of the album yep, and they asked uh, Steve Albini to go back to the Uh, that material and and come up with a new mix. Yep. Uh, Well, you you requested to do um, the (laughs) Serve the Servants 2013 um, mix in here. I wanted to uh, play it as well, but I think we had different reasons for it. (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to highlight the fact that he put in a different guitar solo. And you wanted to uh, highlight the fact that it sounds pretty different and he made different choices. Mm -hmm. So let's first listen to the guitar solo. And then... uh, (laughs) So I have nothing else to say than, uh, hey, listen, it was a different guitar solo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is cool. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, So what do you have to say about the uh, remix?
1: The interesting thing I I think is um, we'll get to the subject of remixes on its album later on because there's also a couple of songs that were remixed by somebody else, Um, not this one. And the fact that on this album you can you can hear those distinct differences. And uh there was a lot of discussion back then when the first mixes were done between the band, the record company, um Steve Albini himself, like, are we happy with this or not? Um I like the fact that he was able to go back to uh the mixes um and make a different one. And I think he said in in an interview like it's not that this 2013 remix is the definite edition. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not no. my final cut. It's just listening to it again and making different choices, which is, I think, what producing and mixing is. Yeah. And I, th- some of those 2013 versions are, in my opinion, better. Some are not. But in this case, I think he sort of, to to sort of revenge on <laughs> the criticism he got. If you listen to the opening bars of the new version and then the old version, I think you'll hear it. So maybe we can do that.
0: Yeah, sure. If you just give me a <laughs> a, a minute.
1: Shall I uh, fill that minute with uh, more no, talk? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll cut it out.
0: <laughs> uh, anything in particular you want our listeners to pay attention to?
1: Just listen to the the balance between the instruments, I guess. What did you hear?
0: <laughs> I had a feeling that, um, well, uh, just to be uh, just to be clear, we uh, started off with the original version and after that we got the remixed version. Um, the guitar s- sounds a bit more open. Mm-hmm. It has a bit more like an open spacey f- sound to it. Mm-hmm. I think you can hear the bass line just a little bit c- clearer.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I think those are the main... Main differences, but you really have to focus on it. Yeah. And yep. perhaps you can hear it better uh, from a different source because we are um, compromising this to an MP3. Exactly. So yeah. maybe some of the subtle, uh, subtle changes get lost in between.
1: Yeah, yeah, could, could well be. So if you're interested in this, uh, go and listen uh, to it again uh, in your uh, own uh, versions of, uh, of the album. I think you're spot on. I, one of the issues that the band had later on with um, the mixes was that the bass uh, was too far in the back and also yeah. the, 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 the vocals. vocals. Yeah. And you can, you can hear that tiny differences to me at least make actually quite a big difference between um, exactly what you said, it sounds more open, the guitar sound more open as well yeah, sure, you can say like okay, this is, the tiny differences don't make or break the album but I think the original mix has a sort of a fuzziness to it sometimes that might have been what they thought they wanted, but <laughs> <laughs> turned out maybe to be a bit too fuzzy I like that he went back to songs and sort of mixed that up and and gave it that more open feeling, where I think it it complements the song a bit more.
0: There was the opening track. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to the to the next one, "Sentless Apprentice."
1: Saw so you reaching uh, for the uh, uh, lyric sheet from the uh, LP during uh, listening to this.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- that's because I think the lyrics are really interesting.
1: Yeah, but hard to hear in the song.
0: Hard to hear on the song. Well, I I, I know the lyrics. I just wanted to have obviously. Look, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to quote them like correctly. Yeah. So that's why I, I I got the sheet. Um. No, but first I think it's uh, it's good to know that. Um, and um, Kurt based these lyrics on a uh, on a book. Yep. Uh, das Parfum by uh, Patrick uh, Suskind. Yes. Uh, did you read it?
1: Yeah, because that was sort of the book that everyone read in German class. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I read it in German class uh, because uh, I knew that uh, there was a Nirvana song about it. Ah, cool, cool. Um, I thought I was being smart by reading the uh, Dutch translation of the, of the book. Mm-hmm. But then I had to sit down uh, with my teacher and talk about it in German. <laughs> and I didn't know the important words because I hadn't actually read the book in German. <laughs> But um, yeah, um, it was apparently uh, one of Kurt's um, uh, favorite books. Yep, he read it a couple of times, and uh, yeah, he drew um, inspiration from it for these uh, for these lyrics. Yep, um, and I think he used it in a very interesting way. And also, I just like the way he composed it by just using loose phrases and images, mm-hmm. uh, like the one uh, I want to quote because I think it it, it just demonstrates how we put this together mm-hmm. just the loose sentence uh, um, uh, there are countless formulas for pressing flowers it doesn't rhyme with anything it doesn't really connect with the other lines but it's still in there Yep. Yeah. and i think um kurt is taking a sort of what of a different approach to writing lyrics yeah. at this point definitely in his career for some reason, that that line always stands out <laughs> to me. Yeah. Maybe I'm the only only <laughs> one, but uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, to highlight that that yeah. he just you know started writing lyrics in a different way. And uh, well, the fact that I'm holding an official lyric sheet from a Nirvana, Nirvana <laughs> album in my hand right now says something because it, this is the uh, first and only um, album they made that came with a lyric sheet.
1: Yeah. And and you just realized that the 20th anniversary edition CD that we also have lying here. Does not have those lyrics, which is weird.
0: Yeah, it's really weird. It yep. comes with a booklet, there are extra pictures in it, but they decided to, to, to leave the lyrics out. Which yeah, so, make so if any you're sense.
1: like at home thinking, like, I don't have any lyrics, what's happening? Then you have the 20th anniversary edition. Yeah, of the CD. but
0: on the upside, that's the edition that comes with the uh, 2013 remixes, yep. so True. you can check those out on a good audio quality. No, but I also think musically this is a cool song. Yep. It was written by the entire band, uh, mostly by by Dave Grohl, who came up with a drum beat and and a guitar riff.
1: Yeah, and apparently Kurt didn't like it at first. But yeah, (laughs) it's uh, the second song on the album, so he definitely grew to like it, uh, I guess.
0: Yeah, and and I can see why it's the second song on the album, Um, because I think they didn't want to... Put all the the sweet, accessible songs nope. uh, at the beginning. It's like okay, if you can listen through this song, then you're in the album. It's like <laughs> exactly, a, like yeah. a, a a ritual of, of passing. Is it like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah? I, it's I, like their
1: ba- bell rock on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like it from the quite accessible serve to servants. It's going into less accessible songs, but it's. By far, not the least accessible song on the album that comes later. I think. Yeah, um, I think
0: so too. But then again, if you listen to well, what you could call the the chorus. I mean, whew, his 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 way of singing is quite true. something. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's listen to just a, a snippet of that. I yep. just um, cut the song short because I'm. I think we're going to get kicked off several <laughs> uh, platforms uh, for podcasters if we. Uh, um, use too much uh, original music because yep. we don't own the rights to, but uh, um, yeah. And again, we also have a like a. a um, an older version of this uh, of this oh. one, in which it it hasn't been worked out just yet. Um, we just talked about how Dave came up with the the drum pattern and the riff, and that they jammed on it. Um, this is a rehearsal in which they jam on it for like eight or nine minutes, mm-hmm. and you can hear them trying out different things, especially Kurt with the with the melody and and, and stuff like that. So uh, let's have a listen to that. not quite there yet but
1: uh, <laughs> no no but it has um i i always like the the bass part of this song as well that's already in there uh, it's just i mean it's it's quite straightforward but it's cool yeah yeah
0: yeah nice um so are you ready for the for the next one or do you want to add something to um
1: well i just uh, realized that we talked about the book that the song has been inspired by but we didn't say what the book was about so maybe oh, just yes, for right. people who um, <laughs> haven't haven't read it and don't know German yeah. um, or haven't
0: seen the movie because there's a movie as well.
1: Yeah, a movie is, is sort of okay-ish um, <laughs> <laughs> the book is better um, but basically it's about this man who doesn't have any um, body odor himself but he can smell other people really well, and he's a serial killer. So let's leave it there. If you're interested, go and read it or
0: see the movie. Yeah, Yeah. and um, Kurt later said in an interview that he could really uh, relate to the way the main character was feeling about other humans. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, feeling disgusted by this sometimes, but also wanting to belong and
2: Exactly. and themes like that and uh,
0: yeah. I think that comes out when you hear him scream uh, uh, go away <laughs> yeah. like that yeah <laughs> okay so um, if listeners to the album uh, haven't been scared off by that <laughs> squealing of go away then they get re- rewarded by yes. uh, by the first uh, uh, well the leading single yeah. um, of the album uh, Heart Shaped Box um, which is one probably most people uh, know really well but uh We're going to listen to it anyway. You know what? I think this is the best Nirvana song there is.
1: I think you might be right. (laughs) I must say, my, like, what my favorite Nirvana song is sort of changes per week, but this is always in the top three. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, the same. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and, This is one of those songs, where you already mentioned it, that has been mixed by somebody else. Yep. Because after they finished the album, um, they got some criticism from their record company. Yep. Um, Some were even saying things to the press, like, it's unreleasable, and it's a mess, uh, stuff like that.
1: It's a bit of a weird, fuzzy story, I think, because Hmm. there are different versions, like them saying that the record company said it was unreleasable and then when that came press record company said no we never said that we would release basically anything they come up with because they're nirvana and we trust them um the band being really happy when they walked out of the studio at first and then later on listening to the mixes again and and being less sure, which is normal because that can happen. I mean, everyone who's ever created something knows that feeling of, yay, I made something perfect. And then then you look back at it and you're like, "Mm, maybe not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and Kurt was always uh, very sensitive to that. He he always was happy with what he did in the beginning. And then uh, quite soon after that, he would criticize it. Um, But in this case, the uh, eyes of a lot of people were on them. And uh, they even felt the need to buy like a a big uh, uh, ad in a magazine uh, stating that they had complete creative control, which they had. But, you know, having to do that is slightly embarrassing as well and (laughs) makes you look pretty weak. It's one of the things that the the louder you scream, no, no, we can do whatever you want, the less believable it becomes.
1: (laughs) It's interesting that they got a couple of songs remixed. And not all of it. Um, Yeah, that's right.
0: But Just just, um, to make things clear, uh, they brought in uh, Scott Litt, the producer for uh, REM, uh, to remix uh, three of the songs. Yeah. And two of those uh, remix versions uh, came out on the album. Yeah. Which were uh, Heart Shaped Box Mm -hmm. and uh, All Apologies.
1: Yeah. And the other one uh, was remixed later. So, uh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's on, on side B. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think they chose those songs because they had like the most commercial promise in them.
1: Yeah, and maybe... Potential? I, I'm i not sure. Maybe it's not just the commercial potential, but also they are the most... I think it's more they are the most melodic songs on there. Mm. And they... um um, Fits the least with the way that uh, Steve Albini uh, mixed them, I yeah. think. I mean, we just talked about the 2013 versions from uh, Albini and, and listening to those differences. But I think in this case, when you listen to Service, Service, and Sentence Apprentice, and then you get Heart Shape Box, you hear the difference between those songs. Yeah. Because this one sounds like it could have been on Nevermind
0: almost almost
1: <laughs> or on an rem album <laughs>
0: yeah. or at least on the radio exactly exactly
1: yeah. there's a totally different sound to it i think it's it's great um i i really like this sound yeah for this song um but um i i like scott lit's work so yeah
0: but scott lit didn't just mix it he also um uh got into the studio with uh, at least Kurt. I'm not yep. sure if the other band members were there as well. I don't know. But no. he um added some vocals and yep. some guitar parts. Yep. So he had extra, uh, actually extra um um uh, building blocks to work with. Yep. It wasn't yep. just, you know, I'm gonna turn up the bass just a little bit <laughs> no. and no. Uh and you can really hear that especially in this song. Mm-hmm. Um and well, the
1: harmonies. He added the harmonies. Exactly. <laughs> so,
0: and again, a different solo. Yeah. So uh, let's listen to the original Steve Albini mix. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not actually a different solo, but there's this big effect on it Yeah. now, a tremolo, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I think makes it sound dated.
1: Yeah, and also makes it sound a bit too much like Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, there's that moment, exact moment in Smells Like Teen Spirit at the end of the solo as well, where this happens similarly.
0: Hmm. I never made that made that connection. <laughs> but i can make a connection to uh, <laughs> to uh, a completely different solo that they had um uh in an uh, alternate take of the song mm-hmm. uh, which has more like a noise solo okay so um they could have gone with that as well yeah So and just to have the whole package complete, uh, let's uh, listen to yet another solo (laughs) and then we can talk about uh, different uh, aspects of the song. that's how it sounded when they demoed uh, the song in in Rio um a couple of weeks uh, before they went into the studio yeah and i know there uh especially chris was against uh, playing it like this with a lot of noise mm-hmm. because he realized it was such a gem of a song and he said well it's yeah. such a shame to put it on the, this noisy yeah freestyle solo on it yeah. so uh, i
1: agree although i i like i do like the sound of this version hmm. um but yeah
0: not for this song, maybe, no, or maybe you know play it live like this, yeah, but exactly, yeah, keep the album version as it is, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's a really well written song, yeah, um, well, we've talked about a lot about the production and a bit about the music, um, how do you like the lyrics of this one?
1: there's a lot that's been said about it, uh <laughs> by Kurt as well, like what's it about, um but to me, it's. <sighs> It sort of works in itself, uh, I guess. Um, I like the fact that it evokes a lot of uh, visuals that don't have to make like a complete picture for me. Um, I've always also loved the uh, music video for this one by mm. Anto Corbein, I think we'll get to that in a future music video <laughs> special, <Yeah. laughs> which I'm looking forward to. Um, but that that also, I'm mentioning it here because that, to me, fits so perfectly with the images in, in the song. It's just yeah. like, it has a lot of images and it has this feeling, and I don't care whether it's about kids who have cancer or Courtney Love sending stuff in heart-shaped boxes to Kurt or whatever. It's... Sort of, it's the feeling that works yeah. for me.
0: Yeah, and um, <laughs> for our listeners, um, you're not just making stuff up that no. has <laughs> been said about this song. Exactly. Kurt said in an interview that he got inspired when he saw a documentary about um, yep. the children with cancer, which may explain the line, I wish I could eat your cancer yep. when you turn black. Uh, yeah. Then again, the whole line of the whole title of the song and the heart-shaped box concept was supposed to be from when... Kurt and uh, Courtney were not a couple just yet, but they were like circling around each other and Courtney Love sent him heart-shaped boxes with trinkets in it, something yeah, like that.
1: but there's also a story that she had a whole collection of those boxes and she would like put them everywhere in their house when they were already married, so there's different version of, of that, so yeah.
0: yeah, and then there's the a uh, story that uh, initially uh, Kurt wanted to call this song A Heart-Shaped Coffin. Yep. Which <laughs> puts <laughs> it a completely new uh, exactly. perspective. So yep. in the end, we don't know. Uh, nope. What we do know is that um, Kurt's songs don't always have to be about just one thing. Nope. And it can be very, uh, you know, just associations or mm-hmm. uh, different imagery put together. Yep. That on some level makes, makes a complete picture and connects with each other. Yep. Or maybe not, if you're not seeing it or not getting it, then that's that's, that's fine as yep. well, then you still have a really good sounding <laughs> song so. exactly, yeah, and I think it says a lot that they um didn't open the album with this one it's it's in the perfect place to me at least, yeah,
1: yeah, totally agree,
0: and it really really pulls you in like yeah. like maybe it's a bit reassuring, yeah you know after after um yeah, Sentless apprentice it's like we, we still <laughs> do stuff like this, yeah, <laughs> don't
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. worry. <laughs> Yeah and that that's also the, sort of the feeling that the song has on the one hand it it sort of sounds and feels and evokes warmth um but still with that edginess to it that you're never really sure what's going to happen or or what it's about so yeah it's a nice um it's a nice third song on the album definitely yeah.
0: And, and I think the, the the singing is really good you yeah, alre- beautiful. Uh, already said um that uh, in the scotlit mix that eventually came out they added extra harmonies Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. let's zoom in a bit on, uh, on those shall we
2: Yay. I've been locked inside your heart shaped box for weeks I've been drawn into your magnet trapped I wish wish I could could eat eat your your cancer when you you turn black
0: So well done, <laughs> and then to think that there's there's still people who say that Kurt couldn't sing.
1: Yeah, uh, if you hear this, then uh, you you can't say that. We rest our case. <laughs> yes.
0: Um Track four.
1: Yeah. Rape me. Rape me. This is uh, we're going back to uh traditional Nirvana.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. This is one of those um, songs they had lying around for uh, for quite some time. Yeah. Um and yeah, you can you can hear that. And also I I just don't really like this song. No. I and I, I know a lot of people like it a lot. I think it's too repetitive and one-dimensional. I mean, I'm not offended by it because there's also a lot of people who are yep. offended by it. I'm I'm not but I just think it's like too little lyrical content, yep. not enough variation in it. Um, it's just a bit of a standard song. I, I mean, yeah. personally, I think it would make an okay B-side.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, it's not one of my favorites either, um, but in my opinion, it's too short.
3: Oh, like, I think it's too long. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's too short to make an impact because there's not much extra happening. Um, so that's in that. That's why I think it's too short. And I, um, oh, like I said, it's it's a pretty traditional Nirvana song. It's sort of like yeah, been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the, the guitar riff is is very close to uh, smells like Teen Spirit, uh, which is fine. Uh, there's more songs that have that, but in this case, it sort of annoys me. I like the sentiment of the song. I like the whole idea behind the the lyrics. Um,
0: what, what in your opinion is the idea behind the lyric?
1: It has some links with with a song like Polly. It's sort of the opposite part of a story like that. I think Kurt has said in Infuse as well. It's like the rape me is like empowerment. It's like a woman saying like I don't, I I'm I'm still me. Um, and and you can do me what you want, but I'm not like emotionally giving in to you, um, which I find really interesting. But it's not done that well, especially no. when you compare it to something like Polly, where it, the story for me works very well. And in this case, it's too much repeat of rape me and <laughs> yeah. not enough, not enough of the other lines.
0: No, it's not sophisticated enough? well no. of, of course it's not sophisticated it's no. it's very very <laughs> blunt and mm-hmm. Kurt also said that he w- wanted to make like an anti-rape song yeah. that was as obvious as he could yeah. still I think it's not very obvious but at least what it's sort of about is pretty pretty obvious and pretty blunt yeah. but I think he, it would be better if he balanced it out with more sophisticated yeah. lines yeah, or yeah definitely
1: and more I think it could have done with more story
0: Maybe that's the word I was looking for, more more story or more context or just a bit more. Now in the bridge, um, it seems to be more personally about him. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my favorite inside source, which was a a phrase that Kurt and Courtney used quite a lot because they were really angry about uh, all the nasty articles that came out uh, about them quoting inside sources. Exactly. Uh, at one point, they even send uh, somebody uh, a, a Christmas card saying to our favorite inside yep. source <laughs> to the wrong person. But still, yep. <laughs> but then the whole story about I'm taking a stand against rape and abuse of women, mm-hmm. then it gets mixed up with yep. his personal story. Yep, definitely, and, and, in, all, some, and yeah. in, in some cases that works. In this case, I think it only weakens his message because exactly. then I'm thinking, oh, oh, so it's about you, or or is it? I I don't know
1: if that was what it's about that could have been stronger as well because that is i mean essentially it's the same the same story because it's if it's about him saying like rape me again i'll I'll still be me um that i mean that's the same sentiment like yeah. you can you can say what you want about me you can do to me what you want uh, i won't be broken but women who get raped and a pop star who gets haunted by the press are, yeah, it's <laughs> two, two, two different things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, like I said, I think musically it just doesn't really work for me. Let's uh, again uh, travel back in time and, and get an impression of how Kurt wrote this song in the beginning. Mm-hmm.
3: Check, 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 check.
1: sounds even more like uh, <laughs> smells like teen spirit yeah when you hear it uh, like yeah it's-
0: and it's not just the chords it's also the 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 way he plays it yep. the the rhythm. yeah some people said that it's the smells like teen spirit chords backwards but it's not no <laughs> um but on this version he uses a lot more words yeah so maybe initially those um, extra like story components were there but yep. he decided to leave them out Probably to strengthen his his message. Yeah. To just keep it with just a a, a few lines, which he's done before, like on the song, uh, like School. Yep,
1: exactly. And
0: I think in that case, it really worked here. Here. Yeah. Just not my my thing.
1: What I find interesting is that um, apparently he did think that this was such a strong song that it could be a single yeah. because um he wrote down some music video ideas on this song specifically in his journal so that's interesting that yeah. he at least had some imagery that he wanted to go with the song
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he was a big fan of the song uh, <laughs> himself uh yeah i'm yeah. I, i'm not i think uh, it's it, it's a step back after the yeah. first three songs of the album
1: yeah i have it less Less strong than you have, but yeah, it's I I do agree it's not that interesting. Yeah.
0: Just just one little thing that I'd like to um, to bring forward is the um, extra um, uh, rhythm part that's on there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever uh, noticed, but uh, um, you can actually hear uh, this on it.
2: I, I
0: I must say, I do like those shouting parts in the end.
1: Yeah, and I, I also like um, the the production on that. How is sort of his own echo? Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's really uh, that's that's absolutely well done. Huh? Um, so uh, let's go uh, to the next one. Francis Farmer will have a revenge on Seattle. Shall we explain who Francis Farmer was before <laughs> or after uh, we listen to it?
1: Well, now that you've mentioned it, maybe let's just explain it. Go ahead. Well, Frances Farmer <laughs> uh,
0: apparently was an actress from Seattle yep. uh, who was, uh, had a successful uh, career but uh, ended up in a mental institution. And later her uh, memoirs were published in which she described horrible things, um, getting abused on a daily basis in that institution. But later um, a lot of people have claimed that that's not all factual, true, which you wrote down, yep. so it's more like her own personal interpretation and yeah. some facts mixed with mixed with some fantasy. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if Kurt knew that.
1: Um, I think Kurt has probably had his own ideas about what happened to her and and yeah. why. Um, there's this famous story of him phoning, I think, was it a guy who who wrote like a biography on her or or made a documentary or whatever? He phoned somebody who was documenting the story of Frances Farmer and apparently because Kurt had had read a lot about it and was really obsessed with it, there was this judge who had sentenced her to go to the, the psych ward and Kurt was sort of convinced that that judge was a relative of his which is bonkers <laughs> apparently he called the guy who was well like i said he was doing like a documentary on her or, or writing a book i can't remember and he called him a couple of times and left messages and the guy never called him back and then he killed himself <laughs> so he never could but yeah so yeah. he was he was quite obsessed with her story and yeah. and even Putting himself somewhere in there, apparently.
0: So yeah, yeah, he felt really connected to her and yeah. her story, at least. Um, yeah.
1: And and just for for people who don't know, I mean, she was. We were saying she was an actress, but this was a long time ago. This was like right. in the forties and fifties, so not recent for Kurt.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of people will probably think, "Oh, Frances, um, uh, Kurt and Courtney's daughter uh, mm-hmm. is, is called Frances." Uh, she's probably named after this actress, but nope. apparently she's not. <laughs> no, she's uh, uh, named after uh, Frances Kelly, the singer and songwriter of the Vaseline. Yep. Although maybe she's named after both, but at <laughs> least that's yep. what Kurt and Courtney uh, yeah. have uh, have said. Um, and also, uh, Courtney, uh, when she married Kurt Cobain, she wore a dress that had belonged to Frances Farmer. Yeah. So I think she had a little yeah.
2: Interest as well. <laughs> yeah, a
0: little interest as well. So that being said, uh, let's listen to the song.
2: so relaxing, yeah, that
0: Yeah, I think after um, after "Rape Me," uh, this song puts <laughs> us right back on track, and yeah. uh, I'm I'm yeah, I'm totally into the album again with this <laughs> one. Uh, I don't think it's a very popular song, no. But I, no. I, I personally, I like it a lot.
1: Me too, and I I like that line that you just closed on. I miss the comfort in being said. I think that's that's a great line. Um, also, probably something that that. He related to himself, uh, but just whatever the meaning is, it's it's a line that really works. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a great song. Um, it's simple but really really um, effective. Yep. It's also fun to play, as you know. I'm a I'm a, <laughs> I'm a poor amateur guitar player, um, and I really like playing this song. Ah, good. That's um, good. That also why,
1: has, why why is it nice? I to don't play? know.
0: It's it's easy. That's, that's, <laughs> that that's helps. Very important for me. <laughs> I don't know. It comes out easy and it sounds good. Um, the um, quiet, loud dynamic mm-hmm. that made Nirvana famous is is in there, but in sort of a different way. It, yeah. It's not like a, a quiet verse and then a loud chorus. No. Nope. It's more like small, uh, quick changes. Yeah. Um, that's fun to play. Um, also, there's not a solo in it, and <laughs> I can't play solos, uh, but there's a really cool instrumental um, break. Mm-hmm. So, um,
1: and I, I also like that this song, to me, is um, um, the song that works the best with Steve Albini's mix and, and recording techniques. This is, for me, the, in that aspect, the best song of, of the album.
0: Oh, wow. And, and why is that, do you think?
1: Because that, that whole sound of jelling of it all together and putting those drums in the forefront um, works really well for this song, specifically. Like you said, it has that soft, loud dynamic that Nirvana does more often, but it's less pronounced here, and that also makes it work because there is dynamic differences, but not too big. so yeah, yeah.
0: so I have three th- uh, things lined up here, and uh, uh, it's up to you which one <laughs> we're going to listen to. Okay. Uh, we have an uh, acoustic solo version, mm-hmm. we have an uh, instrumental uh, demo version, and we have the two thousand and thirteen uh, remix.
1: Yeah, now I have to say the remix, don't I? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you do. Because of what I just said. Well, um,
0: I think the really uh, the remix really does a good job on uh, the um, instrumental break. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's do that one. Yeah. Right. yeah um, uh, I love it as well, and I think <laughs> yeah. it it really it, it's better than the original mix,
1: yeah, in some aspects, it is definitely, and I think that that just um uh, hopefully <laughs> proves my point of of this being a song that that works with what Steve Albini can do. This new mix is different, but still complements his sound, so yeah. that's great. did you um catch that post Malone? cover um, recently
0: yeah he did like a whole yeah Nirvana cover set um, I've heard some of it I haven't checked it out all the way through well
1: this this one also for the listeners if you haven't heard that one uh, I think that the version he did of this song is, is really good it's not like completely different or anything but it just it fits the song and I think he did a great job on that so okay, cool. go listen to so it m-
0: maybe he likes uh, playing it uh, just as much as I do exactly yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, and of course, uh, you can find the uh, um, uh, solo acoustic version and the demo version uh, uh, yourself. They've, they've, they've both uh, been released uh, officially. Yep. So uh, you can just find it on Spotify or YouTube or uh, wherever. Um, we have to keep going. Yeah. Because uh, we have one more song to go, and it's called Dumb.
2: I'm not let down. Back the, town. the sun is gone.
0: I think last time we uh, found out that uh, pretty much every Nirvana album uh, ends side A with Polly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this time, uh, Polly is not on the album. <laughs> no. But they uh, end up with the most Polly-like <laughs> song. Yep.
1: <laughs> definitely. This is uh, this is uh, if you if you can't do Polly, do this one. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's interesting that they chose to keep that part of their album formula. Attacked yeah. by uh, closing off the first side with uh, a softer acoustic song. Yeah. Although yeah. it's not really acoustic, but, you know, It tone has down that more feeling. Melodic song. feeling, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like this one. It yeah. doesn't really stand out for me.
1: I um, I, I like it. Um, it's sort of, it's one of those songs that isn't on the forefront of my mind and then when i listen to it it's like oh yeah but i really actually like this (laughs) one (laughs) um there's there's so much in there that i that i enjoy like the 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 opening that just it just starts which i think is great um there's a cello in there there's harmonies in there so it's basically everything you like (laughs) all of the good stuff um it's it's just i think it's it lacks something to make it a really good song. But I can't really say what. Like, I I can't really tell you what they should have improved.
0: <laughs> no, I, th- I think the song is in its definitive version.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what... It, there's just something like when you when you compare it to something like Heart Shaped Box where even if you don't like the song, you can at least say like, yeah, this is like, perfectly done and then here is it sort of feels like yeah it's it's good it's there's but there's something that just makes it
0: it's good but it's not great yeah 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 Yeah. Well, m- maybe the band had the same feeling about it because it's uh, uh, one of the oldest songs uh, on this album mm-hmm. uh, because Kurt wrote it uh, back in 1990 probably maybe even in 1989 yeah um, so so they had it lying around for quite some time yeah and decided not to use it on uh, on Nevermind. No, um, but still thought it was good enough to put it on here. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm glad they did because yes. it's, it's 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 good enough to be on the album. Definitely, it's just not mm-hmm. a, one of the centerpieces. No, it's 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 nice um, change of tone and paste. Yeah, so I think it's it's on, it's on the right ra- uh, it's on the right spot on the album. Yeah, and it yeah. serves a purpose there but um yeah it's it's a nice nice song, <laughs> but there's not that much to say about it i think
1: i I really liked um i I read that uh apparently Frances Bean had said in an interview that this is one of her favorite songs, mm-hmm. um because it's it gets her emotional because she hears like her dad and and how he f- was feeling uh in this song which i found really interesting um uh, which is obviously also like projection from her side since she was too young to to really have known him yeah but the fact that she feels that this song says a lot about kurt uh both the lyrics and the music and the way that he's singing it i found that really interesting and that did give me sort of an extra dimension to the song, I guess. Yeah,
0: totally get that. Yeah. And also I get why she feels that way, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, it's it's a different side of him, not the angry, frustrated, screaming side. No. And it's more thoughtful, like, I th- think I'm just happy.
1: Yeah. And, but and I don't really know. I don't know. and And it's a song about... How I mean that it's it's that's that's why it's called dumb. It's about <laughs> his his feeling about people who can be happy but without, in his opinion, really having a reason for it. And I think that's interesting as well because he's sort of obviously somebody who is always thinking about yeah how really he was feeling c- and how yes yeah, how self conscious and, and on yeah and the whole concept of people just going through life and and not be bothered by stuff was something that he was... was uh, about. Yeah, he was like sort of amazed that people could do that and, and would have wanted to be that simple, yeah. dumb in his words. But I don't think he means it really derogatory though. I mean, at least it doesn't sound like that in the song because like you said it also sounds like he's envious of that like like, i wish i could be as easygoing and and yeah i guess i'm happy but i don't know why and and then i'm not happy and i don't know why it's sort of and that that melancholy feeling is in the song as well
0: yeah in the music in in, in a way he tries to comfort himself you know like I'm not like them, but I can pretend. Exactly. The sun, the sun yeah. is gone, but I have a light. But yeah. in the end, it, it's not enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's listen to a, a an early version, not as early as a, as a 1990, although we have a recording of it, but uh, I wanted to save that one <laughs> for when we do the uh, Unplugged album. Yeah. And uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to uh, to this song. Um, this is a demo version with a full band. Um, they did in uh, 1992. It's uh, instrumental. It's from that uh, demo session in Seattle where Kurt didn't show up the first day, (laughs) um, but they did uh, play this song.
1: like they can't shake that smells like teen spirit sound <laughs> it's so weird when you listen to this version and you listen to that beginning it's like every time almost they slip into that chord pro- progression and then when the drums come in it's also like a, oh yeah there d- they go d- it's,
3: yeah. it's so
1: weird
0: yeah, yeah. but i think on, on on this version you can really hear what uh, chris with his bass playing yeah. brings to the table yeah yeah yeah, definitely uh, he's probably uh, uh quite often overlooked yep because uh and uh, outmixed. and out <laughs> maybe as well yeah, yeah. and on, on this version especially yep. because there's no um uh, vocals on it you can really hear what what he's doing yeah and it's really melodic and yep. uh, yeah because the chords are so basic and simple yep. he has room to do that yeah yep. and um yeah, so uh, that's why I wanted to uh, to play that uh, version uh, as well. And we're not going to listen to the 2013 remix because the cello is so um, absent in that one. Yeah, yeah. Which it's, is a uh, shame because I really like the cello.
1: Exactly. I, I would have liked a remix with more cello, actually, because that's something that I've always found weird about this song. Like, if you have it, why don't you listen to it more carefully? Because it's... But, yeah, well... Get back to that in the unplugged version. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Let's let's do that. And uh, yeah, uh, it's it's interesting that they were a band with like drum, bass, guitar and singing. And sometimes the occasional cello. Yeah. I mean, they did it um, um, on on a couple of songs. I think it's the only instrument they ever used apart from the instruments they were playing themselves. Yeah, exactly. So no organs on it or, or <laughs> violins section or whatever, or, or whatever. No. no just sometimes bring in a yeah. cellist and uh, um, and add something to their uh, choir songs and I, I really like it and it really is part of their sound i yeah. think because they did it a couple of times yep so it's uh, yeah, right. yeah. It, it, it only makes sense that uh when they went uh, out on tour to promote the album that they uh brought a cellist with them yep uh yeah so uh would have loved to have seen that live. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, that brings us to the end of uh, side A of the In Utero yes. album.
1: this is a is a good side A, and I think it it does what it what they wanted it to do, like show all of the different sides of Nirvana.
0: I totally agree. So um, next time, of course, we will be talking about side B of yeah. this album. I hope everybody who's listening now will uh, listen again. <laughs> Even the fans of, uh, of Rape Me. <laughs> and um, and it just if,
1: if you if you think we're totally wrong about that, or at least Seeds is totally wrong about it, then uh, let us know. Yes. Tell us why it's the best song you, n- you know. Yes. Because we'd love to hear it.
0: Yes, if you want to explain to us why we are completely wrong, you can send an email to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can look us up on uh, Facebook, on facebook.com slash Nirvana Podcast. And you can uh, send us a message there. And um, if you make a strong enough case for for Rape Me or have anything else to say that's uh, slightly interesting, uh, we will uh, discuss the email on the show, I think. Yes. And uh, we always like to hear from people who are listening. Yeah. Um, For now, uh, I want to thank you for uh, joining the podcast again. Yes, thank you for having me again. We uh, want to uh, thank our uh, friend uh, Joop Hulleghi, the piano player, for providing our theme music. And you can check out his uh, piano covers on uh, Nirvana Piano. It's a YouTube channel and SoundCloud uh, Soundcloud channel. I think he plays... All the utero uh, songs on there yeah. on this piano as well. So uh, go uh, go and check it out. For now, everybody, thanks for listening, and till next time, bye
3: bye.